0: Welcome to Governmentality, the podcast based in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where everything's political. We'll talk you through the opinions of old people and young people and help you to understand how all the buzz in the beehive affects you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Governmentality, your podcast for everything about politics. I'm your host, Sandy, because unfortunately Holly's at work today. Today, we've got a very special guest, Greg O'Connor, Deputy Speaker of Parliament at MP4 O'Haria. Kia ora, Greg. Yeah, Kia ora. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Like, what's your story? Why did you get into politics? Well,
1: look, I'm Greg O'Connor. I'm probably a little bit unusual journey. I was a police officer for 41 years before I came into Parliament. Um, As a police officer, I suddenly realised that, uh, you know, for years we have been sort of dealing at the bottom end of the problem, you know, people getting in trouble and, you know, it always, I suppose I learnt as an undercover police officer, when I re- really lived among sort of gangs and criminals, I just saw so many people there that were so talented and so smart and so much, you know, better equipped than me, um, but they weren't equipped um, because they hadn't had the, I suppose, the opportunities that I'd had. And I just came with this absolute belief that, you know, we've got to give people the opportunities, um, and it starts so young. You know, through education, through just giving them an understanding of how they can get on with life, get on, you know, operate fully in a, our mainstream society, because often they just don't have the equipment to do it. So you've been an MP for six years now? Six years, yes. Yeah. So I left police and uh, was invited to stand for Labour for you and I did. And six years later,
0: here I am. So what would you say your proudest achievement is while being in office? Look, I mean, I've been the deputy speaker um, for the last
1: uh, for the last year, and that's you know, relatively rare for someone of, um, who's only been there for six years to do that. Um, and I'm pretty chuffed to have been asked and uh, given the opportunity to do that. Um, that's that's in Parliament itself. I've, I've got a bill drawn out of the ballot, which is going to be around sex offenders and making sure about protecting victims, because at the moment, if a sex offender who's on the register in New Zealand gets to wants to go and travel elsewhere in New Zealand they have to tell the authorities or tell um, whoever's um, looking after the register where they're going to be just to protect, make sure they protect the people who are going to be where they're going but they can jump on a plane and go to Australia and don't have to do that or go up to, um, to Thailand. So I just want to extend that so if anyone leaving New Zealand has to tell us where they're going to be going, where they're going to be staying um, that's as much about protecting them as it is about those that are likely or might be in a position where they might be tempted um, to commit some more offending.
0: Just sort of tighten up the rules?
1: Yeah, so that's that's, not, that's going through at the moment. It's uh, um, halfway through the process, so uh, ready to come back from select committee, um, back to its second reading. That's quite exciting. exciting. Yeah. And look, it's, that's sort of in Parliament and locally, um, little things like um, getting a police officer for Tawa, you know, a dedicated resource for the community police officer there, that uh, that hadn't existed before and that makes a big difference there, especially to the schools where they've got a go-to person. Um, the fire station in Newlands, um, it was due for closure, um, so we sort of sat down and worked out do we want to save the fire brigade or the station, um, and we decided we saved the With the brigade, we'd saved the brigade, and we have, and they're still there um, in a new location. Um, Just another thing, I talk to a lot of people in our electorate, um, the Johnsonville Shopping Centre, um, is always a big issue. Uh, I've been trying to work to get something done there. What Um, is happening there? Well, it's (laughs) unfortunately the blockage. One thing you learn as an MP, find out where the blockage is, and the blockage is the Australian funders. Um, The local owners' stride are pretty keen. They've spent a heck of a lot of money. Getting ready, planning, ready to go, but uh, their uh, Australian funders have blocked them. So um, that's where um, we've really got to start putting the pressure on to make sure or, or do something or look at our options um, around um, sort of forcing their hand.
0: Okay, thank you for that. So, like, as per usual, we're going to ask you a series of quick fire questions just to keep you on your toes and let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So, we're going to start with the first question. So, in five words or less, what do you think is the most important issue affecting young people today? Housing. Housing?
1: Housing, cheap, affordable, good, warm housing.
0: We might get into that a little bit later as well. Um, Do you think tax cuts are a good idea in the current financial environment, yes or no? No. Okay. Will your party increase funding to tertiary institutions in New Zealand per student, yes or no?
1: Look, I think tertiary, and particularly universities, um, were already what has happened with Te Pukinga, where we ended up with all these broke institutions, putting them under one umbrella. Um, It's got some teething problems, but I think ultimately it will work. It had to work because basically they were all going broke. University is a bit of a similar situation. I think just rather than, um, well, I know it was supposed to be five words here, but essentially um, yes, but with ensuring the money is properly spent.
0: Okay, so yes with accountability. Yes. Okay. Um, Does your party support more cars on roads, yes or no?
1: No. No, I mean no.
0: Um, okay, here's a fun one. Your favorite musical artist? Uh Lord. Lord. Okay, favorite song by her?
1: Oh, gee, I mean, now you're pushing me. Um,
0: I know it's a bit of a sneaky yeah, one. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, look, I, I can't think of it at the moment. Give me one of her favorites. Give me one of her top ones. Um, um Greenlight is... No, what's what's the other one? Uh, Royals. Royal, Royal. 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 That's the one. Sorry, I just had a bit of a mental. No, break no, no fair enough. Fair enough. Royal. No, that's a good song. I think it's a fantastic song.
0: Okay, so um, I guess moving on to like more general policy questions. So. Um, a major focus, especially in the beginning of the election like, cycle, was this idea of like a law and order. We see all these headlines about like ram raids and crime rates going up. And although it's sort of taken a bit of the back burner now with like other policies, ACT National still campaigning quite hard against this idea of like, like campaigning hard on the idea of being tough on crime. Um, as a police officer, could you sort of speak to that? Like, what is Labor doing about it? I've just
1: been having a meeting up in Johnsonville uh, with a police officer and one of the councillors. And as I said, when I was a young police officer. In Johnsonville, about 40 odd years ago, there was more crime there then than there is now. There were way more burglaries, um, there were way more cars got broken into, way more cars got stolen, um, because all those crimes were a lot easier to commit then than they are now. The cars were easy to steal, um, the houses were easy to break into, the shops were easy to break into, and they all had money. Basically, there was cash everywhere. Now there's hardly any cash anywhere. Um, so to commit the crime these days, because security's improved, um, what we could, police would call target hard, the, the world is a lot target harder to commit crimes, so that's why the um, they do these high-profile crimes, like get a car and smash through a window and steal what you want, almost guaranteed to get caught, um, just by the nature of the crime, and they do get caught. Um, however, they're, those that are getting them to do the jobs um, will, will get the... We'll get the equipment and often get away with it too. So the type of crime that has been committed is a lot more high profile, and of course they film it, put it on. It's all great on the TV and you know, on the telly, on the on the YouTube or um, whatever forum you're using. Um, so that raises people' fear of crime. So I think the fear of crime is a lot, heck, a lot higher now. All the stats show that crime has gone down over the years. Um, it has blips, um, but at the moment. There's no doubt about it, things have changed. Um, You know, the advent of methamphetamine, that changed everything. I mean, the gangs that I grew up with policing, you know, they would got old and they were actually relatively harmless until the methamphetamine came along and that just gave them a whole new lease of life because they owned that
0: trade. So I guess what you're saying is that... um Like crimes have really been dropping. The crimes really been dropping. It's just become more high profile. Yeah,
1: it has. And and the type of crime. See, a lot of crime never got detected before. I mean, uh, when I was a young police officer in Porirua, I mean, I I cringe when I think of some of the things we did out there. You know, we'd go to a domestic where, you know, the usually the 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 male partner had come home and beaten the hell out of the female partner, and we'd go along and you know ask her if she wanted to make a complaint, and she'd say no because she knew full well if she did, then she'd probably get another hiding when when he came back from prison, or if she, and he had to go to court, she'd end up paying the fine, it all come out of the kids' food, so um, we'd sort of pull them apart and leave it, and we'd go on the radio and say TPD, typical poro-domestic. Well, that all changed. Now, police officers that go to those scenes, they look for crimes. They don't really, it's not important, well, it is important, but they don't leave it to the female partner, or, or the partner, to make the complaint if there's evidence of it, and when looking back on it, there was evidence of it. We didn't need the partner's complaint because we'd seen it and often the offender had admitted they'd done it anyway, in which case that became admissible in court. So as a result, now police officers going along, uh, they have to take action because if they don't, evidence has shown that those ignored domestic, what we used to call domestic, now family violence incidents, will end up as homicides often, or certainly a lot more serious.
0: So it's like a high reporting of these crimes as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: and that's where a lot of the violent crime has come from. You know that, that you know police officers, if you go to now to a family harm incident, and you, you know, you've you've got to have a really reason why you haven't taken action often. Uh, whereas of course, very different from, in, dare I say, that word my day, um, when very really was action taken.
0: Okay, but like just stepping back from this a little bit, even though crime rates are falling, as you have been talking about. Obviously, like the ram raids, a fairly high type of crime, and they have been increasing. So, what is Labor proposing on doing to try and change that?
1: Well, they are coming down. You know, they have setting the retail crime squads has been a big thing. Yeah, you know, they're focusing on it. What oh, could tends, you, what could t- you explain that well, to yeah, our listeners? What tends to happen is that police people talk about the police as a homogenous group. They're not at all. It's a little bit like coming to a university. You know, uh, if you're a professor of law, you don't really know much about chemistry. Um, That's what you do. Well, police is a little bit the same. I mean, I was a detective. And so you know, we would even, within that area, you might be working on burglaries, you might be working on an area. So what tended to happen was that you would end up using your expertise, your time, your focus on the area you were assigned to. And if you don't get assigned, if no one's specifically assigned to an area, then it tends to get ignored. Fraud's a really good example. Police used to do fraud. I used to be on the fraud squad. Now police don't do fraud. As a result, fraud became a real major issue because no one was policing it, actually. Um, then finally we'd do something. Drug Methamphetamine was another one. No one was really policing, particularly the med, mid-level mid drug dealing. And methamphetamine just completely out of control. That's what our gangs have sort of got their real strength, their money out of that. So when you specialise, you need to focus your police on an area right Focusing on retail crime, focusing on these things, and then you've got some very switched-on people out there looking at that particular area. Of course, while they're doing that, you would argue there's other areas that probably are going lesser policed, but tends to be the way of
0: things. But, so it's like, are there any? is there anything else that like, Labor's done aside from just creating this well, special...? Well, or, like, there's 1,800
1: there's, more police to do it with. Uh, that, that's the big thing. Look, look, people can argue all they like. Let me tell you, the, the biggest, every criminologist, every expert in this area will tell you the best crime prevention measure is instilling in people a belief they'll get caught. Um, okay, you temper that with the fact that a certain percentage of the population by age or for whatever reason don't care. They actually don't care, but they still will be governed by the fact that they think they'll get away with it. And if you want evidence of that, look at drink driving. I'm of a generation when people drank and drove. You know, it was... It was everyone was very proud of it and it was was generally your state of sobriety wasn't a decision about whether you drove or not Um, but what through very clever policing and use of publicity we convinced the public that if they drank and drove they would get caught and it was the getting caught it wasn't even the accident necessarily it was the getting caught and you'll lose your license and you'll get all the social shame and there did People in a certain era, perhaps again, when I was a younger younger person, getting a drink-drive conviction was almost worn like a badge of honour. Well, all of a sudden, what changed was that getting a drink-drive conviction was a matter of shame, um, and that changed. So, again, that belief you'll get caught is the most important thing. That's why those 1,800 more police are so important.
0: Okay, okay. Um, and that sort of wraps up the law and order section, but like, I guess moving on to cost of living, because obviously this is a really important issue affecting young people today, it's affecting everyone. Um there's been a bit of like quite a bit of publicity about national tax cuts in regards to the cost of living, but what is Labor's like solution? What is like what is Labor proposing doing with like dealing with the rising cost of? Well, living well, well it's
1: always interesting when you're talking to an incumbent government. It's not so sort of what they're going to do; it's what they are doing. You know, you know. I mean, certainly, your listeners, students, half price fares. You know, I, I will challenge that in the lives of a lot of students. Um, while there's a lot of things have gone up, um, some of their costs have come down. For example, student allowances have gone up. Um, For example, the minimum wage has gone up. Um, If they are, these are, bearing in mind, these are all things that are opposed by national, by the way. Um, And these are all things that have actually put money in people's pockets. Free dental um, for under 30s. That's going to be huge for, because if your generation is like my generation, basically no one goes to the dentist in their 20s because, you know, generally you've probably survived enough and well, and you probably don't even look after them that well. And the, the damage of, not looking after them becomes apparent in the thirty and forty. So if you can do that, so these these are all there's a, there's a lot of little things, um, GST off food and veggies. I mean that one of the problems is that most lot of people don't eat that well. But if the incentive is to eat a little bit more fruit and veggies, well all these things will work. Um, and so if you go across the board, there's a lot of um, those things that Labor have done. And we'll continue to do because this is where the focus is. Um, but minimum wage, don't forget, and wages themselves, and don't forget, um, wages have gone up higher than inflation. Uh, ultimately, that's the best thing you can do. Um, and you know, those of you all, um, who are listening to this who have got part-time jobs, um, they might be on the minimum wage, but at least that minimum wage has gone up. Um, look, it's it's a worldwide problem. Um, no one's going to solve it overnight. It was easy; someone would have done it. Um, you'll notice that Labour are getting a real hassle from National and Act about how much money they've spent keeping people alive during COVID. I mean, yeah, everyone's conveniently forgotten COVID. You know, it's, but COVID was massive. And I'll tell you what, how many of, I suppose your listeners will be probably people in their you know, teens and 20s, how many of their grandparents, if we applied the same uh, statistics, death statistics, as the United States, as UK, most European countries then how many of them wouldn't be around? They'd be dead. And, you know, it sounds harsh, but it's actually true. And we kept them alive. We kept our businesses going because we borrowed money and we gave wage subsidies. And that's where I, I get really, really frustrated when I hear, oh, look, Labor's wasted all this money. Oh, did we? We saved a lot of lives and we saved a lot of businesses. I wouldn't have thought that's wasted.
0: Can we just, like, zoom back a little bit and, like, focus on, on the GST um, offering and vegetables? Because I think this is, might be Labour's perhaps most controversial policy to date. Well, at least in this election campaign. Because a lot, like, there's a lot of economists have come in and said it won't really do that much, like it's not a good idea. Can you like sort of address those concerns? Like why 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 remove the GST? Well,
1: a lot of these things are behavioural changes. You know, so when you go to the supermarket, you know, like you've you've got a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure again, your probably parents, mother, father told you, eat more vegetables, lad. You oh, know, yeah. You've <laughs> got to get more. And that's that's what you do. So all of a sudden, but while those fruit and vegetables, while it's cheaper to go and get, you know, buy some processed stuff that's come straight from overseas, uh, from a cheap producing country, then all of a sudden, um, if it's cheaper to actually go and buy that produce, you might bring about the behavioural change, which ultimately will benefit society much further down the track. Plus, it will actually be cheaper. Um, we've got a grocery commissioner now who will be keeping an eye on the supermarkets. You remember I went going back to what I said about policing. Unless someone's actually focused on it, then it doesn't get done. But if you've got someone who's focused on, you know, price gouging by the supermarkets, which now we do have, then I think that's going to probably ensure that the policy is more likely to be successful.
0: Okay, but, sorry, how does this grocery commissioner work? So, like, obviously there's a lot of people saying that, like, fruit and vegetables to price is very volatile, so how would a grocery commissioner be able to keep this in check? Well, so you've, got, you've got the Commerce Commission at
1: the moment. But yeah, they don't do this. So you you, you go along to the supermarket say, well, hold on. How come I've just um, seen that this is two for a dollar and actually they're only 30 cents? You know, that type of behavior. Well, no one's really policed that before um, or arguing about, hold on. I know that the producer of these goods, and this is, I know, something that people will come to us and say, look, I'm only getting $3 a kilo. Those supermarkets are selling for $15 a kilo what's happening here so unless you've got someone to actually investigate that to go say, well, go to the supermarket and say oh hold on mr supermarket or mrs supermarket or mrs supermarket owner how come we know that you're buying this produce here at $3 a kilo how can you justify selling it at $15 a kilo that's the type of thing that you know that will behavioral change because i tell you what you know there's some good people own supermarkets but there's a lot of supermarkets owners who've doing very well too
0: so I guess it's very much dependent on like the suppliers reporting their price like how much they're being paid to the Commissioner
1: well yeah well I know you know you, any one of us any MP we who has got in touch with their growers or their suppliers you know whether you know the, the 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 farmer who's looking at what it's he's getting for a kilo of lamb and seeing what a kilo of lamb is selling for um, in the New Zealand supermarkets especially frustrating when you go to the UK and see it selling for about $10 a kilo less, that type of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that are, going back to right I said at the start, unless somebody is tasked with investigating that stuff, then quite frankly, it goes under the radar.
0: So the Grocery Commission would be like an active investigation role, sort Absolutely. of like digging yes, into yes. it. Yeah, that, so so that, that, when
1: you, you yeah. know, you, you're sitting down with a group of your, um, your contemporaries and sort of saying, well, hold on, this is weird. How come that supermarket's got that there? And if it doesn't look right, there's an old story. This is supposed the old cop, I and mean, if it doesn't look right, it's not right. You know, there's this, and, uh, I there's and I encourage you, anyone listening to this to if it doesn't look right, it probably isn't.
0: I mean, yeah, fair enough. I had to spend I spent six dollars on a tomato the other day. So yeah,
1: well, wow, was that at a dairy or at a supermarket? It was it a supermarket?
0: I'm pretty sure I was overcharged for it, but Whoa, I, was, man, I looked at the receipt and I was that's like, that's crazy. Yeah. That
1: that is that's wrong. It's simply yeah. wrong because I know they're expensive, but you can still get a little. Because I I buy them, you still get a little punnets. I think they're up. They're about eight bucks now. Those little punnets, crazy price. But hey, it's not six bucks.
0: It was a big tomato, but not worth six bucks. Man, you should have been for that price. You should have at least needed a trolley to get it out. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, you mentioned housing at the very start. as like being the most important issue that you think is affecting young people, and obviously it affects everyone. Yeah, it affects everyone. But obviously, like rents are really high, mortgages are really high. Like there's not enough like housing. What's Labor proposing on dealing with that? Like, well, we, we're again,
1: you know, being an incumbent oh, government. Obviously. What well, is Labor well, doing well, about it? You know, I will tell you what, something scary. The weekend I ran into a mate of mine who's a real estate agent, and he was rubbing his hands with glee. He says, "Great, he's had a bit of a lean time. He says the investors are back. The investors are back in anticipation of a national act victory because all the conditions that brought about the rise, incredible rise in prices of houses and rentals, are back." Um, what they will argue is that that terrible Labour government brought in the rent, make sure that the uh, healthy home standards, you know, anyone would think, you know, we'd bought in sort of, you know, compulsory cyanide in your soup, uh, was crazy. that was bought in for a very good reason, that our rental stock is terrible, and so we've made them do it. The other thing we, and so um, I'm not sure um, what any party's policy is on that, in fact I'll go away and look, after, look, look at that, because I know I've had a lot of pressure. And by the way, landlords are not bad people. Landlords are smart people who take advantage of the tax conditions that prevail. And those tax operations which are going to now prevail again means that if you and I go to a house to buy it, and I'm an investor and you are buying it to live in, it's worth way more to me than it is to you because because I will get the tax advantage of it. I can run all, whereas you're going to be paying a mortgage, we'll both be paying a mortgage, whereas your mortgage is going to be paid out of tax paid income. And the only gain you will get will be the capital gain. Whereas if I, as an investor, the money that I am paying in my mortgage will be tax deductible. And that means that it's worth more for me. That difference is worth more for me than you. Plus, of course, the capital gain. I will pay more. The prices will go up. I'll get a bigger capital gain. And of course, the capital gains tax by... Um, we. Have Winston Peters stopped Labor from bringing it in, but we sort of brought it in To a certain extent, it's called the ten-year bright line test, which means that if you sell it within ten years for a profit, you know you pay tax on that profit, which is again you pay tax on everything else, every other income you get, and so that's going. Wait, just just
0: the bright line test excludes the family home, right? It does, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We're investors, exactly right. You know, so that's that's so that so it's um, those that are in. So now hold on for two years, take your capital gain and move on. So we're going to go back to exactly the same conditions that we had. That brought about, but again, don't blame the investors. Don't blame the landlords. They are just taking advantage. They are smart, taking advantage of a situation and government. And I'm, one thing I'm most proud of with the Labor government—that's something we actually did. I mean, I've got friends in Europe. And I've travelled around there, and people rent for life over there. But boy, they have some rights. You know, if you're renting, you can't come and can't come along and just say, "Right, I want this back in three weeks or three months or the, old, the period is now ninety days." You've actually got some rights. Renters have no rights in New Zealand, and that's I think they should look to what this Labour government has done to actually give renters some rights. So the landlord can't come and have a bad day and say, "Oh, look, I don't like the look. of you your he's a bit long. Well, here's, here's your notice, ninety days notice." You yeah. know, um, the national. This is one they do. They want to bring back. You know, the um, evictions. You know, no, 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 fault
0: evictions. So, basically, Labor's done a whole lot of, like, rent protections. They, they have, you know, and this is
1: what, and now we're getting first first home owners were virtually, particularly in the cities, were out of the market, unless you want to go really onto the outskirts. They were back in, and now they're
0: going to be back out again. Yeah. So, aside from, like, the bright line test and, like, strong like like a healthy home standard what else has labor done in regards to the housing market build more houses
1: that's basically you know we've, we've built more social houses than any time since the 1950s um, that's what we have done and look in any day, building more houses um, one of the biggest problems um, and, and the rewrite uh, of the natural the, the natural and built environments act which is the um, replacement to the um, to the to the previous act um, um, and the so That is now going to give more ability to build more. One of the problems you've got is that I'll go around. Everybody knows we need more houses. We need more places for people to live. We need cheaper houses. But everybody wants it, but nobody wants it next door to them. And that's what the Resources Management Act was always used as a tool. The Resource Management Act, do you know supermarkets used to use that as a tool to stop another rival supermarket from coming to the area? Used it for years, objecting to... Um, it was a great case, and I think it was in central and west Auckland. Um, trying to success one supermarket chain successfully stopped another supermarket chain from getting into the area by use of the Resource Management Act, the NIMBY Act.
0: Okay, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I and guess a lot, a lot the of the good, good things that in it have been thing? kept.
1: That just went through It's one of the last bills that we put through at the end of the last parliament. Um, and it's, and I sat there as a deputy speaker, I sat through a lot of those provisions, and oh, yeah, and a lot of it was the good stuff was kept from the Resource Management Act, but. A lot of it was rewritten.
0: So has it been enacted now?
1: It's uh, yes. It's it's coming, in. Um, I I I won't get. I'm not sure when its writ day is, but it's, it's coming.
0: It's coming. Okay, cool, cool. I guess the final question in regards to housing is: if you had a preference, would you rather cities go up or out? Well, look,
1: the reality of it is that I'd like both, but I think up. We're going to have to go up. You know, it's and 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 done. Go to places like you know. Scandinavia, go to Denmark. It can be done. It can be done well. What everyone is rightfully fearful of is the old Stalinist towers, you know, that you get as you go around. I mean, I'd spend a bit of time with the police in Rotterdam and going to the sort of areas where the high crime was and that. And they've got these great big towers and the outskirts and it's, you know, with all the crime that goes with it. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, you can go to something like Copenhagen, you know, where they actually go reasonably high, but they do it well. And there's some quite good ones, even in my own electorate, there's some you know, it doesn't have to be Stalinist House.
0: It's like density done right, essentially.
1: Density, density done, done right. right. And it can be. And this is where councils come in and there's got to be some will to do it. Um, but look, I had a woman the other day, and I was door knocking. She was, there was a, I, I was just brought it up. I thought, well, that's a really density done well. Like she said it down the end of the road. She said, no, it's terrible. It's terrible because people park and I can never get out. And she says, oh, well, says I agree. She basically said, yeah, I agree. We need more density, but not in my street. She actually used those words.
0: Yeah, I guess that is really a difficult problem and yeah, no, but I often
1: point out, you know, look look at the hills of Wellington. You know, they were dotted with farmhouses a century ago, a lot of those suburbs, and now they're dotted with houses. You know, so history never stops. Nothing ever stops. And this is what I do get a bit frustrated in Wellington, um, that we celebrate things that we don't do. Um, and I'm really, it's a real shame about Shelley Bay, because that was, that had the Anyone who's been to some of those developments, that, that had the potential to be a great development in Wellington. Really something we could be proud of. Uh, now we're celebrating stopping it. Oh, man, I shake my head. Because what this city needs is more people. It needs more students. It needs more people to keep its vibrancy. Because um, without young people, you ain't got
0: vibrancy. Oh, that's true enough. Okay, so I guess moving on to like a bit more about Ohio, because obviously that's your electorate. Um, you're only running as electorate MP in this election. Why is that?
1: Well, that's my skill set. You know, having spent, you know, 40 years as a cop, I, 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 always, I started up there, you know, was a cop up there. And it's, it's like coming back as the local community cop, said, oh, it's a joke, I don't have to do night shifts, I don't have to um, arrest shoplifters, <laughs> you know. And it just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm um, it, you know, I, I still enjoy the par- parliamentary work, don't get me wrong, but I think I like being the local MP where I'm, more beholden to my voters than, say, to
0: the party. OK, I mean, that makes sense. This election, though, you're running up against Nicola Willis, who's quite a high-profile national candidate. Why do you think that you're a better candidate to continue representing Ohio?
1: Well, for the reasons I just said. You know, is a very talented politician. Um, she's If the polls stay the way they are, she's going to be the Minister of Finance. Um, the last three Ministers of Finance have given up their electorates, Bill English, Michael Cullen, and um, Grant Robertson because they couldn't really do them justice. Um, if she gets that job, I don't think the voters of you are going to see much of her. Um, it's a build... I've been there six years now, and I'm just really starting to feel confident that I have got a good idea of how that who's who, you know, where... Because it's not one big place. There's no you mayor, you councillor. There's two different... Lots of councillors. There's the west and the north. Um, there is... Uh, eight residence associations. There's sports clubs, there's bowling clubs, three bowling clubs, all these things, you know, all of which, you know, you've got to be able to walk into and know who's who. Um, and that's where you find out, really. It's, at the moment, we're in an election and people knock on doors and do phone calling, but it's all a bit artificial. It's what you get on the sports field on a, you know, grey day in July, you're more likely to learn than you are sort of door knocking at a when people are scratching their head. Like, even now, these questions you're asking me, you know, they specific to this time, and we all dig deep to have the answer. But the reality of it is that the real answer is you're there for people. I, I just had a woman who came to the office this morning, and it was a classic electoral interview. You know, She didn't quite know. She had a bit of an issue, and she didn't quite know what it was. And I said to her, I "says when you walk out of here, what will have happened to make this a good visit, a good meeting? And she sat down and thought about it. And she went through, and do you know something? She came up with the answer herself. That's, you know, that, that, that's what you do. Um, things like the Johnsville Mall, you know, all of a sudden I was battling away by myself. And I suddenly realised there wasn't a business association up there. So I thought, hey, we need a business association here. So I got one started. And now they've just been recognised by the council as a bit business improvement district. So I won't go into the details of that, but it's, a, it's up to its status. Um, gets council help to do what they want to do. So all of a sudden now I'm not a lone voice doing that. These are the sort of things you do. But you do that over and it takes a while to build that. And if you're busy being the Minister of Finance, you're not going to be doing that.
0: I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, obvious, obviously, as a, just a fully electoral MP, you would have much more time to focus on all of those things. And yeah, no absolutely. Yeah, well, and that's, that's
1: what I like. And I enjoy doing that. And take it. And I now know, especially again, I go back to my time as Deputy Speaker. I've now, it's given me an understanding of the way in which the Parliament and the whole. Lawmaking process works that I wouldn't have had before. It's probably a little bit about like yourself. You know, you've now you come to this university and only do your studies and go home. You know, and you wouldn't really have any understanding of other than your little patch of paradise. But you get something like do a job like yours you now, doing what you're doing now. All of a sudden, you'll be seeing a part of this university, a part of the world, student world that will be deprived. You know, most, most people won't even get an opportunity to do simply because they're not doing what you're doing. That that's it's it's that way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I guess sort of a question, like a cheeky question, bouncing off that. But like, let's say Labour forms the next government. I mean, let's say the polls the polls are wrong, or like, all their turn's around.
1: Oh, for the country's sake, I hope. They yeah.
0: Do. <laughs> um, but would you take a ministerial position if you offered one?
1: Oh yeah, I would. I, I'm at the stage of life I never say no, and I've got to be careful with that. I end up doing the coast to coast, the run over the hill, because someone asked me to join a team to do the coast to coast, and thinking later on they said I, oh, they thought that I was a triathlete. So I was no, I wasn't. I'd only done a few half marathons, um, but I did it. Because I don't say no to anything now. A bit like when Jacinta asked me to be deputy speaker, I didn't even really know what a deputy speaker did. I saw them sitting up there, but I uh, said, so "Yeah,
0: I'll do that." I mean, What least, does the deputy speaker do? Well,
1: actually, you basically you you run the house most of the time because the speaker he does question time, um, and then the rest of the time it's um, really it's it's the deputy is sort of running the house um, and assisting the assisting the speaker. That's what you're really there to do. Uh, we've got a few roles and different things, but it's a it's a what I enjoy about it, it's, it's quite um, bipartisan, actually, um, because you end up sitting in the middle. And, you know, it's parliaments are naturally partisan place. And speaker, typically speaker, is as bipartisan as probably you can get there.
0: Okay. So I guess moving like moving on to another topic, a lot of young people, it's like, it's like a lot of my friends at least, and I think a lot of people in general, they just thought, felt quite apathetic about this whole election. They sort of felt like disinterested, disengaged, and like it doesn't really matter. So, I guess, what would you say to them to tell them, like, like why, why, why should they care about this election? Well, first,
1: thing I'll say to them, they're no different from any generations come before them. You know, I think we could be sitting having this interview thirty years ago and would be saying exactly the same thing. Um, and you know, politics is uh, they they say that, but then. I'll go and particularly speak to students in my electorate. Most of them, they'll know who I am. They have a idea. I think that can become a, I don't really understand. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm confused about it. Um, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it was that clear. I mean, the opposite to that is I think there's people, you'll see them walking around this university canvas with their nice coloured, I won't say what colour, but you'll see them. And they all look pretty much exactly the same as the next one, um, and you know what their politics are. Well, they know what they're going to vote for. They are all engaged, but um, and nothing is. They're probably in some ways less engaged because they're not going to be listening to any other argument than one they want to. Whereas the people you're talking about, the people who are actually open-minded, who are actually want to look at both sides of an argument, and of course they're confused, and they're probably going to be as confused when they're forty, because the day that they wander off to that poll to vote without having any thought, absolute certainty, because there's no doubt about it, because I've voted this way for the last 30 years, well, I know who I'd sooner be, I'd be talking to, the confused young man or woman who I can help with, rather than the person who comes up and says, "Ah, nope, you'll never change me, you know, I'm being blue through and through, never change.
0: Okay, but like, why should they care, I guess, is the like further question. Like, like obviously, like, people are just, like, necessarily don't necessarily know, but... Why should they care about the election? Why should they do their own research? Why
1: should they care about anything? Why should they care about anything outside their own world? They should care because they're going to be living in the world that is created now. I mean, we talk about the borrowings that are taking place in the government now. You know, this government has had to borrow a lot more than any government would ever want to borrow. And that was through COVID and latterly through the floods. You know, we've had to get through those things, Um, you know, all the storms up Auckland. And so they should care because actually through their lifetime. And I'll tell you another thing they should care about because there's a lot less of you proportionally than there were when I was your age because there are less young people. I mean, I was one of nine kids, which is probably not a good example, but, you know, a family of four or five wasn't unusual when I was, you know, growing up. Whereas now a family of four and five is a huge um, family. Um, So there's actually going to be less of you we're living, people like my age, you know, um, are in, their, in their 60s, are living, whereas a lot of people, you know, my father's generation, they were starting to fall off their mortal coils in their 60s, and it wasn't uncommon they'd retire and be dead within five years. They wouldn't be around to collect those pensions. Now, of course, you know, to get there's, there's people turning 80, 90, 100, every you know, heaps of them every day. Um, apparently the Queen never had time to write the sign that she used to Personally signed when she was alive, the the hundred year ones. From now on, it's virtually a stamp stamp exercise. You know, you've got to be 110 to get, you know, personal, my personal one now. So you know, you, and so your grandparents and great grandparents are probably um, alive, costing this country a heck of a lot of money um, by pensions, by medic, because and just staying alive. Um, you know, and I'm talking about myself. You know, we're we're you know staying alive. I I'd, I had. Um, Bowel cancer when I was in my 40s and probably but for modern medicine. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Um, so I would have been just another statistic. I would have been, you know, a, a piece of um, a, a gravestone somewhere that someone might have gone and visited, you know. I'd like to think my kids might have gone occasionally, at least on an anniversary, to go and visit me. But you know, here I am because modern medicine.
0: So it's just sort of like it's an important thing for people to consider.
1: Oh, look, you've got to. Oh, sorry, it's an old thing. If, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Yeah, you know, And you just have to. If it's too hard, you know, it's not too hard. You know, it, it can't be too hard. Because if you do, you'll leave it to those people I talked about who wander around the campus and, you know, the clones. Um, and and they will make the decisions for you. And if you want them making the decisions for you, then... Good on you.
0: I like that saying. If you don't vote, you can't complain. It's a fun yeah. one. Might, might might steal it.
1: Use well, it. should be. It should be put. Let's put it up. It should be something. Planes flying towing that around. You can't vote. You can't complain.
0: Good one. Okay, so I guess that sort of like wraps up the interview. So I guess this is the time where we we let you do like a final like like pitch. Like why vote Labour? Why vote? Why vote for you? Be, being a police officer, people were very surprised that went to Labour because police officers, you know,
1: generally right wing uniforms. You know, people who in the uniform, the fire. Generally, it's tended to be but regarded to be um, mostly right-wing voters. The reason I went to Labour is that Labour the only people who can make changes. The right cannot make changes because they are the party of the status quo. And the people who fund them, who back them, are the ones who are beneficiaries of the status quo. And so to make change, you've got to be part of an organisation like Labour who the people who are going to benefit from the change are the ones who are... The ones who are not benefiting from the status quo, the ones who are suffering from the status quo as it sits, and had a look at Maori, and Maori, I was arguing last night at like the Maori Health Authority. Well, you know, Mary Health Authority, you know, it's nothing is ever all perfect. But if you look at the Maori health stats, you know something's not working. They are on the wrong end of every single health stat, so you can't say that the current system is working for them. So you have to try something. You know, what I like about the Mary Health Authority is that it means that Mary, all of a sudden now they will have to take responsibility. They can't blame the system. They can't blame the fact that they're excluded because they won't be excluded anymore. And hey, who knows? It just might work. So, look, Labour, it's not perfect. You know, of course we could have done things better. Of course we're looking back on it. Hindsight's twenty-twenty vision. But generally, go back in the record over COVID. Not very popular. They hate it. The Centre-right National Act hate it when we bring up COVID. No, no, COVID, forget about it. You can't talk about COVID. Well, you can talk about COVID because I defy any. This university is still suffering from COVID. Every employer, every workplace still has the shadow of COVID hanging over it, and all of a sudden we're supposed to go in this election and forget it? Hm, no, not in my world.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, and thank you so much for listening. Not Catch you again game. next week.